1: Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Daily podcast in partnership with Travel Bag, creating holidays packed of memories since 1979. We are officially halfway through this tournament, 24 matches in, 24 matches to go. I'm Phil Walker and I'm joined today, thank the Lord, by Joe Harmon, who's been at Old Trafford today to see something extraordinary, a game that will be known forevermore as Hashmatullah Shahidi's match sure so Afghanistan lost by 150 and England got 397 and Owen Morgan's Broke a six-hitting world record. But Hashmatullah stole the show for me with a sparkling innings. It was all the more staggering for the fact that Mark Wood stuck him on the canvas with a sickening blow to the helmet. And 15 minutes later, he slapped him straight back past his head for six. 76 he made in the end, including including that incredible shot off, off a Mark Wood bouncer. Uh, to warm even the coldest of hearts, really. And as brave an in innings, as you'll see. Uh, and it put England's preening whackers squarely in their place. Joe Harmon, tell me I'm wrong. That was undoubtedly, of what was it, did we work out, it was
0: 33 sixes by the end of the day, is that
1: right? In the whole game, 33, 25 to England, 8 to Afghanistan.
0: It, it was undoubtedly the, the shot of the day, despite having that many to pick from. Uh, the fact that he'd got thumped on the head by Mark Wood, and that was not a glancing blow, that was absolutely thumped to the side of the head, to the point I was a bit surprised I actually let him carry on. Um, so to do that just a short while later, thumping back over his head with a sort of bizarre straight pull stroke was uh, was truly extraordinary and kind of summed up the, the ridiculousness of the hitting throughout the
1: day, really. Yeah, it absolutely did. As you say, 33 sixes all in. Just touching on Afghanistan, maybe slightly counterintuitively, but touching on Afghanistan's spirit that they showed with the bat today, it was the first time that they would batted through the 50 overs. And despite chasing an astronomical total that was never going to be reined in and everybody knew that. It was still impressive, don't you think?
0: It was. I thought it was I thought they went about it in a pretty good way, really, uncharacteristically smart compared to the rest of the batting in this tournament. But when Archer got that wicket in in his first over, I thought, God, Afghanistan could be rolled for seventy or eighty here and it could be one of the kind of all time World Cup shellackings and that that's not really fun for, for anyone, really. So to see them get their head down and still play their shots, but end up with what was their highest ever total in World Cups, so that's yeah. something to take away from this. Uh, and they did, they needed some confidence in their batting because whilst today it was the bowlers and the, and the fielding, which I think we'll come on to, which is absolutely shocking, mm-hmm. it, they've been all right in so far on the tournament. It's been the batting that's let them down. And, and today the batsmen kind of came to the party. As you say, Hashmatullah, that was a really gutsy, ballsy innings. Um, and to get end up with 2, two four, seven against a very good bowling attack with a bit of spin, a lot of pace, I thought that was a really creditable effort in the end. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um- England were uh, quite ruthless with the ball, I thought. Uh, even right in the, right at the death, the final delivery of the game, Jofra Archer is still exploring the middle of the pitch and, and <laughs> almost taking the fun. number 10's head off. They were kind of pointedly ruthless, I thought, with the ball today.
0: They were, and actually I have to say, watching Mark Wood steaming in, still touching 90 miles an hour last over, there was a bit of me that was wincing, actually. I was just like, does he really need to be doing this? But he obviously would in particular really trust his lengthened run up now he's got the, that longer delivery stride he's putting less force through his ankle which has obviously caused him issues for a number of years now uh, and he was not letting up at all and I get the sense of a bit of competitiveness there as well with Wood and Archer both kind of bowling upwards of 90 miles an hour mm-hmm. Archer's now I think on 12 wickets one behind the leading wicket takes in the tournament so there'll, there'll be these little subplots going along as well
1: What well, what's Wood on sorry wicket taking wise
0: Wood is I think up to nine now
1: okay Because he's been as impressive as Archer.
0: I thought he was better today. I actually thought, I know Archer ended up with three and Wood took two, but I thought Wood looked the more menacing. I thought his short ball in particular looked, that kind of skiddy short ball looks really hard to play. Mm. Uh, And I thought actually, I don't know, this is backed up by the stats, he looked like he was bowling quicker than Archer to me, on average, um, from the press box. Well, Uh,
1: certainly uh, over the tournament he has Is done that right? his average speed I, i'm not sure today but his average speed over the course of the tournament has been a, a tad quicker than archer uh, they also showed uh, on the tv earlier a pitch map of deliveries that were 140k plus through the tournament and england are far and away the most regular breakers of that barrier so they they have the most aggressive comically wild top 7 and the and the quickest bowlers plus two spinners it is increasingly hard to find find much fault with this side. Um, coming to the to this this monstrous innings then three nine seven. Uh, what were your impressions of it?
0: I guess it, well, the first point is they started slowly, so they were on I think forty six after ten overs, which is their second slowest start to an innings since the start of the Champions Trophy. Right. Um, so the fact they ended up with three nine seven is all the more extraordinary. Uh, that was in part, I think, because there James Vince sort of finding his way, looking a bit skittish. I thought, not looking especially comfortable, and on a day where England really sees their chance with with bat and ball, Vince was the one that stuck out really. As he's had a he's had a poor day today, given that he's not going to get many opportunities. So you've written um,
1: about Vince today, Joe? Yeah, uh,
0: I did, which seemed a bit churlish <laughs> given everything else that went on. But I yeah, but it
1: has the benefit of you getting it out the way by by half time. You know, <laughs> there is that, of course.
0: <laughs> There is that, so I can speak to you. But I just thought it was kind of an interesting... James Vince is obviously an always an interesting cricketer in that he divides opinion in, in such stark ways. Uh, and this, for me, this think it was more than just the World Cup for Vince. It's, it's looking ahead to the ashes. England, I think, want to play him. Uh, they asked him to bat higher up the order for Hampshire so they could get a proper look at him. Mm-hmm. As, he's, as he's now made it into the World Cup squ- squad because of, of uh, Hales's indiscretions, you've now got the flip side of that. the Vince won't play any championship
1: cricket for the Ashes, probably. Yep. So this was effectively, in a very odd kind of way, almost like an audition for an Ashes spot, because this is a very rare opportunity for him to, to
0: bat mm-hmm. between now and then. And harsh, and I mean, it sounds a bit harsh, but he failed it, effectively. I mean, he'll get... He'll certainly... You'd think he'd get the next game against Sri Lanka unless they decide to spring Plunkett in for him and open with Rue, but I suspect Vince will get another shot. But then Roy was saying he's hopeful that he'll be fit for the Australia game so that might be Vince's World Cup done potentially although I have to say Roy has really torn his hamstring to come back after two games seems a little bit of a a stretch to me.
1: Okay Joe Root uh, gets out of bed and scores runs for England um, and then goes home again that's what he does another 88 I think it was today 200s 250s now in five games Um, there's not much more to say about him that we don't already know but what is striking is how many classical players are in the top 10 of this, this run scoring chart in this World Cup. Any notions that it was just going to be uh, a, a kind of who can hit it the furthest kind of World Cup has simply not played out. You're having proper classical cricket, cricketers up the, up the top of this, this chart. Obviously Shaqib currently occupies top spot. Root has just slipped in behind him. And it's it's encouraging, isn't it, really, for the 50-over game that... Uh, we are seeing proper games of cricket here with proper cricket shots being rewarded.
0: I think it is, and I, th- I think I'm right in saying when Root reaches half-century, he'd only scored two boundaries in and that, and, and Coley's gone... hasn't haven't seen a lot of Coley in this tournament yet, but he's similarly gone about his business in, in that way, just kind of accumulating for those first 40, 50 runs and then opening up as he goes. And, it is, and it's perhaps not necessarily what we expected from this World Cup. We perhaps thought there'd be more kind of bludgeoning like we've seen today, but actually today... Was atypical from what we've what we've seen in the tournament so far. Mm-hmm. Um, we've actually seen, yeah, much more kind of classical, methodical batting uh, in the face of some very, very good bowling. I think perhaps perhaps we should give the credit to the bowling in here as well because it's forced the best players. Yeah, it, this is why the best players are, are succeeding because anything less than the best is being found out by some really, really good bowling, particularly seam bowling.
1: We didn't see in truth. Uh, with the honourable exception of Mujib, who I thought bowled beautifully this morning, we didn't see an enormous amount of control, in truth, from Afghanistan's uh, attack. And Rashid Khan had a had a horror show, in truth. Yeah, uh, yeah. Just a word on that.
0: Well, we we were exchanging messages, weren't we, earlier? Because uh, well, Wisdom Cricket Monthly comes out either today, or it depends when you're listening to it. But it comes out on Thursday of this week, possibly Wednesday if you. You're a subscriber, mm-hmm. and we've got our best young cricketers in the world. Our rundown of that list, which we do every year, and it's fair to say, without giving it away, Rashid Khan features quite high up on that on that list. Uh, and uh, yeah, obviously, you messaged me saying he's not bowling like whatever position he is in that list, and, and, <laughs> and he and, and and he wasn't. Um, and I and I, in reply, I said that we don't. He hasn't had much of an opportunity to bowl in conditions that don't massively favour him, and that, yep. that's by no means his fault. Um, it's the fault of the scheduling it's the fault of sides not being prepared to play Afghanistan and it doesn't mean he's not a phenomenally talented cricketer who in time could adapt to those conditions but the fact is he's still kind of learning as he goes here, he's played a bit of T20 for Sussex sure but playing a, a 50 over game against one of the best sides in the world if not one of the best sides that have ever played ODI cricket on their home patch it's a really really tough ask and I think you can forget because Rashid Khan's been around for a few years now and his record is phenomenal that He's still learning as he, as he goes as well. And he's going to have some bad days along the way. This was, I mean, phenomenally bad, wasn't it? I mean, it's the most expensive spell ever in a, in a World Cup. Um, one of the most expensive in, in any uh, ODI cricket ever. And yeah. he didn't even bowl his full allocation as well. So I, I did feel, I felt sorry for him today as well. Because he's, he's such an enthusiastic, optimistic cricketer. So to see someone like him having a really bad day uh, is kind of quite hard to see in some ways.
1: Yeah, I think all of that is fair. When I interviewed him a couple of weeks ago, he he was very keen to make the point that he'll only start to throttle back on his career in about six or seven years' time. He wants to work every month for the next six years to learn his trade. He's aware, as anyone, that he's just starting out as a cricketer. And if you were to tot up, with respect to the Associate Nations, if you were to tot up the number of games where he's bowled 10 over spells against the creme de la creme. There won't be many of those opportunities that he's had yet. And, of yeah. course, in England, there's hardly any at all.
0: Yeah, I also think there's an issue about how they use him as well. I mean, they, they typically don't use him at all in the first power play, and I think they brought him on in the 18th, 19th, 19th maybe was, today. Yeah. For me, that's too late. By then, the, the tone of the innings
1: was already set. England was struggling, comparatively speaking, at, at 46 after 10 overs. Mm-hmm. To me, that was the time to throw Rashid Khan the ball when your sides in a position of, if not dominance,
0: at least kind of on an even keel. But to then bring him on when actually England have established that dominance a few hours later, for me, is just not using your best weapon correctly. And I don't know if there's something maybe he doesn't like using the new ball, maybe that, that is an issue, but they're very reluctant to use him in the power play. Or, or maybe he's got too much authority, maybe he wants the bowl at the time when he thinks it's most suited to him. But... Mm-hmm. Afghanistan should be using as the time that's most suited to them. That's how this, how this should work. So I think that requires a bit of a rethink as well.
1: Mujib Rahman, 10 overs for 44. Uh, it was a masterclass. He's no more than 18, I don't think. He's certainly just a teenager. Yeah, yeah. 18, just turned, he is. And I thought, considering he bowled with two men out. In the first 10 overs this morning, I thought he was absolutely marvellous to watch, and I mean, this bloke, the, the world is at his feet.
0: Yeah, and he'd had, a, he'd had a tricky start to the World Cup, and he'd been been dropped, uh, wasn't looking quite at his best as, as we've seen him in, in previous tournaments and in T20 franchises around the world, but he, he bowled beautifully today, he beat Vince first up in his, in his first over with a lovely delivery, and, and just kept it, kept it, I mean, he's a, he's a mystery spinner, but he kept it relatively simple, and mm-hmm. really had England under the cosh, I didn't... Vince didn't quite know whether to stick or or twist against him and he had I can't remember his figures after six overs but they were very very good indeed and he he took a little bit of tap towards the end as everyone did but Mm -hmm. still was relatively parsimonious by by comparison and it's good to see I mean I'd him as my rising star of the tournament in the magazine and, and it hasn't kind of panned out that way for him and Obviously, the tournament hasn't panned out for Afghanistan, as as they would have hoped in in any sense whatsoever. But with his performance today and with Afghanistan's batting performance in reply, there's perhaps a little bit of optimism that they can take into their games and and try and come away with at least one win, if not two, from from this tournament.
1: Yeah, I think they'll be oddly emboldened by what happened today in a strange kind of way. Owen Morgan, did you hear what he did today? Were you aware of that? I was was watching, yeah, basically watching. Seven, 17 sixes, more sixes than any man has ever hit in an ODI before. The first time ever 100 has been hit purely in sixes. Uh, he took 67 from his last 18 deliveries. And as I say, contributed 17 of the 25 sixes that England hit in the innings, which in itself is a world record. Uh, what struck me was the purity of it. There were, there, was no, there were no slogs in there. And there was a kind of inevitability about it. Right from the start.
0: They were. I mean, he was hitting those straight as a die as well. We're in the press box, so literally facing him, and, and three of them came straight at us. I uh, actually thought one was going to kind of come flying through the window. Uh, yeah, he just looked, especially if you consider that he meant to have a dodgy back and then he'd up to this. It was like yeah. he was kind of testing his back out to see how much further he could hit the next, the next ball. Uh, yeah, he just looked so utterly control in control of what what he's doing. Another stat it was one fewer sixes than England hit as a team in the last World Cup, which I think kind of sums up how uh, this team have have progressed over the last last four years. And it's great sometimes oddly, despite how brilliant he is as a one day batsman, in this side Morgan can sometimes kind of slip beneath the radar as a batsman because he's such a big presence as a skipper. He's he's almost Mm -hmm. kind of like takes over the team in that regard. But to the, sense, to the sense that you can kind of forget just how good he is. I mean, we've got some unbelievable one-day batsmen in this in this side, but Morgan is right up there up there with them.
1: Yeah, yeah, and you know his record in the last six to eight months is is outstanding with the bat. Okay. We haven't learned anything new about England, in in truth. Uh, They are relentless and uh, rolling towards these semi-finals, it would seem. The the only question, really, is who will accompany them? Now, we have two games coming up in the next two days. Uh, And in truth, Joe, it's our last two hopes that this group stage can maintain a modicum of tension, right? We have South Africa versus New Zealand and Bangladesh versus Australia. Talk me through them.
0: Yeah, well, I think we really, if we come away from the next two days with... New Zealand having beaten South Africa and Australia having beaten Bangladesh, then it's really hard to see anyone fight beating beating the current four out of out of that top four spots. Mm-hmm. Maybe it doesn't mean necessarily both of them to go the way that, that you wouldn't expect, but at least one of them we need a surprise. And this is the interesting thing. I mean, South Africa beating New Zealand shouldn't really be considered too much of a surprise. You'd have said at the start of the tournament that's almost evens, mm-hmm. but South Africa just looked in a not not very good state. I mean, I've, I'm slightly torn in that. My dad is a Kiwi, so I've got a big soft spot for, for New Zealand. But from the tournament's perspective, there is part of me that, that wants South Africa to win tomorrow because it would put them back in the mix. It would also dent New Zealand's hopes a little bit and give Bangladesh a better chance of getting in there as well. Uh, and then you've got Bangladesh-Australia. Well, obviously, we'd want Bangladesh to win that in any circumstance, but sure. particularly particularly given that the way that Bangladesh have, have played so far in this tournament. And I, I think the way they chase down that, Total against West Indies uh, gives them every chance. I mean, Australia have, have shown themselves to be fallible even though they've got the wins on the board. Uh, so Australia will think now, having seen that chase, I think previously they thought, well, maybe we get 300, then probably mm-hmm. job done against Bangladesh. Now I think
1: they'll be thinking, well, if you get 330, Bangladesh has shown they can chase that down with, with relative ease,
0: albeit West Indies bowling was obviously not as good as Australia's. But So,
1: anyway, f- fingers crossed, we get an upset or two over mm-hmm. the next couple of days just
0: to keep the two of us interesting
1: more than anything else. <laughs> oh, that ship sailed long ago. Um, <laughs> South, South Africa, for what it's worth, I, I'm backing South Africa against New Zealand and I said this on the show last night with Robin Smith, uh, which I'm sure you'll be listening to, Joe, jo on your journey home. No doubt, no yeah. doubt, yeah. Uh, and I'm going to double down on that. Um, I, South Africa are not as bad as they've, they've shown so far and New Zealand have yet to really hit top form considering they've had... Um, you know, quite an easy run, a soft landing, as they say, uh, in the first couple of weeks. I'm hoping, perhaps against hope, that New- that South Africa are going to get a result there. Um. OK, we could go on and on and on, but there's more to come tomorrow. Uh, you've got Dan Gallen with you tomorrow, Joe, is that right? Yes, yeah, so I think you're, you're taking a day off, aren't you? And I'm going to be speaking to Dan straight after that South Africa-New Zealand game, which, which is effectively a quarter-final for South yep. Africa, their first of, of four quarter-finals. They need to win the lot to,
0: to qualify, and still might not qualify, but this is the, this is the first big challenge.
1: Mm. And then you've got Mark Butcher Thursday, you and Yaz.
0: Yeah, that'd be good. So we've got Butcher on the show talking about the World Cup so far and talking a bit about, I think, cricket in general rather than focusing just on the,
1: the here and now. Okay. That should be good. fabulous. And of course, butcher has got a new album out as well, his second album, so hopefully uh, you can have a chat about that. He might even play you a tune, you never know. Um, all right, okay, thank you for your time, Joe. Safe journey home. Um, Cheers, Will. This has been the Wisdom Cricket Daily Podcast in partnership with Travel Bag, and you know by now... They've been creating holidays packed full of memories since 1979. Don't forget to subscribe via the podcast app, Spotify and all the others. Thanks for listening, folks. And Joe will be back tomorrow.
0: Sports Social Podcast Network.